Hey there, everybody. This is Raja, your host, back with the Populous Report, the show. <laughs> and uh, today we're going to be talking about a couple different things. Well, really, one major topic, which is going to be vets and how we can talk to vets and start to really like bring them into the sort of populist movement and how the populist movement really is something that lines up with their values. And, you know, it's sort of the natural course of where uh, a lot of these people can go. And especially with a lot of the um, news about Afghanistan and sort of the media coverage, I kind of wanted to do something for the vets. And uh, just to kind of have not a counter narrative, but give people that obviously advocate for a lot of these leftist and populist ideas and um, obviously a lot of labor and uh, workers movements, you know, just another line of rhetoric so that you can talk to people like vets who might be on the opposite uh, side of the spectrum politically when it comes, you know, that's how it's normally framed. And so in saying all that, the one thing I wanted to kind of hit on before we do that, um, and this is a little more personal, is that I saw Candyman recently. And so we're going to have a quick movie review. I don't know exactly when, and I'll try to keep it short, but I don't know exactly when I'll be done with this movie review. But I am going to briefly give my criticisms of Jordan Peele's Candyman versus the original and all that kind of stuff. And then we're going to get right into the vet stuff. But just as a little fun uh, introductory you know, talking topic, I thought I'd mention this. So flat out, point blank, I did not necessarily enjoy the new Candyman. And that's because I had seen the first one. And so this is what I told one of my coworkers uh, yesterday. I said, if you haven't seen the first, then this new one is a good, it'll be a good horror movie. It's like a good modern horror movie, you know, in a vacuum by itself. It's cool. It's fine. But if you have seen the first one, then it just doesn't compare. It's not good in comparison for a number of reasons. I mean, the pacing, the cinematography, um, like the character development, it's all just not as good and like fleshed out. And see, here's like for the character development point in particular, there is a difference about showing the audience, you know, personality traits of the character or putting that character in certain situations so that they can show you <clears throat> their personality um, or just different traits about them in relation to how, in relation to their world and stuff like that. Versus you just telling us all these things blatantly or having another character tell you all these things blatantly. That's kind of what Candyman, the reboot did, or Jordan Peele's Candyman. That's kind of what it did. It just sat there and told you outright everything about these characters and eliminated all sorts of mystique and all that kind of stuff in favor of like, we're going to give them so much that like at a certain point, like you can't see that in the character you know like if i'm showing you the character interact you can't see all the information and backstory and all that kind of stuff 
Um, that's just a slight nitpick. My major one is like the whole thematic role of Candyman was kind of like changed and uprooted. And that makes me think Jordan Peele didn't really understand the significance of Candyman. That Candyman isn't just like the cycle of racism. Candyman was the original one was literally like, yeah, Candyman was the embodiment of racism, but the important things was how the movie was displaying it, like as if in, it was an allegory. It was displaying the interactions between racism and all these different black people, racism and, you know, white America or, or educated white liberals and stuff like that. And it was showing educated white liberals interacting with, you know, the reality of black people and like the the black world and all that kind of stuff. And you kind of lost, you kind of lost a lot of that in the new one. Um, because also like Candyman isn't just that he, it is the deeper level too of like Candyman's whole sort of creation was like innocence corrupted and now it's a perpetual sort of state of like this corrupted innocence is now going to further corrupt like another generation and another generation. And even though in our society, we think we've eradicated this corrupting force, which in this case is racism, um, we haven't. And so that's why he's the whispers in the classroom and all that sort of stuff. And, you know, he's, He's the the faint hints around every corner and all that kind of stuff. Whatever he said in the speech um, is because that's how, like, we as polite society would like to see racism in our world is like, it's this bygone thing that sort of has passed us. But it really is that thing that's around every corner that has affected, because of how foundational it was, it has affected greater society to the current day. You know, that's like my napkin or my elevator synopsis of like Candyman, the character and about how integral and important that understanding is to like the rest of the movie. Um, but like not even talking about the thematic stuff, like the just the structure of the movie itself, the cinematography and stuff like that and the pacing. The new Candyman was so rushed because you loaded in so much exposition rhetoric like this not even dialogue it's just straight up people are talking about you know oh did you hear this piece of lore and did you hear that piece of lore and oh let me tell you about this piece of lore backstory and origins for this character um horror movies do better with less you know the less you're sitting here trying to explain to everybody who the hell this is and what the hell that is like it it gives you a better viewing experience because that sense of the unknown uh, pulls you in further. It makes it more interactive to where you're trying to piece it together as they're giving it to you. And so the other thing too was like cinematography, like the original Candyman had these shots where you'd get like, not a bird's eye view, but an elevated view of like the city landscape. And it would be one still frame. And then it would cut to, you know, whatever was the next scene. Or it would just frame, uh, like it would frame Candyman when he introduced, when we saw that first interaction with Helen. Candyman was framed 
and you just saw this long, you know, broad-shouldered silhouette, and it moved closer to you. Like, stuff like that. You know, I get it's a movie and things need to be dynamic, but, like, they say it in wrestling, like, the imagery is important. Those stills are, they're not subliminals, but people would call them that. But it's just, it's a very uh, deliberate way of showing the story you're trying to tell, you know, through all these other means, like through the dialogue and through the plot and all that stuff. It's a very immediate and deliberate way of showing people, visualizing it for people, you know, spooky, scary. And, um, oh, the other thing that was ridiculous in this new Candyman was like, the appeal of the first one too was that Helen... Like, could have done all that. You know, she could have committed all those murders and atrocities. She could have just been going crazy. And even though in the new one, the people in the movie suspect that that's what's happening to the main character, Tony, but nobody watching would have, would even come across. We know it's Candyman. Like, it's no, I cannot even begin to, like, suspend the the amount of not disbelief but like i couldn't sit there and be like oh that's that's totally him he is could easily have made all these murders happen that's ridiculous that's ridiculous in universe yeah the people could suspect that a whole bunch but the whole idea is that like it's a movie you're still trying to convince the people you know if that's what you want to set up and again that just makes Candyman more of this you know horror movie monster and all this kind of stuff, which is such a basic thing. Like Candyman's really more of like a, a Lovecraftian, like cosmic sort of concept, you know, he is hate and fear and societal anger all wrapped into one thing and how it kills innocence and how that's how it feeds off the, the rumor and speculation that comes from a society and how like that's, that's how he thrives, you know, that's what he strives for. And obviously, like, the, the motivations of the character in the movie, like, you know, you want the love you never got because, you know, you were murdered and lynched by a, a bunch of racist white people. Like, that all adds to those same bigger themes of, like, that desire is still another, you know, uh, not corrupting force, but it is a force that is now cor corrupted, you know, because of all the hate and anger put into this innocence. All of his original wants and desires are now, you know, disformed and, and you know, uh, distorted to such a evil extent, to such a dark and depraved extent. And so, like, that's, again, the allure, because he's trying to do that now, with Helen, the white liberal, who's really innocent, but, like, that's kind of the, the the next issue is, like, her ignorance and innocence um, on this other group of less ignorant people, but equally innocent, um, you know, which would be the, the people of Cabrini, Cabrini Green, like, that's causing turmoil onto them, you know, because now you have Candyman and cops and all this kind of stuff coming in and running through their neighborhood. And uh, 
like even on another sense you can look at it as like you can simultaneously look at it too as yeah it's big scary black guy wanting to get with this you know innocent the innocent white liberal white lady and that's that was a fear and still is to some extent for some portion of the population like the epitome of fear like of of the scary situation for like white america you know and so that's these are all the the things that they were playing off of um oh but also to even further that how they're how Candyman in the his original you know human life uh, as the son of or yeah son of a slave master and and a slave how that original relationship was not you know bad or anything like that was not uh, a malevolent sort of idea but then because of the hate of society bam now it has created this you know monster you could say that now in since he now is a monster and now has these more you know twisted and distorted views now he is sort of embodying and, and personifying that hate of the mob at one point while keeping the same desires and wants from that previous life and that's basically it's how like the village corrupts the kid you know it's sort of how like we make the beds we lay in and all that sort of stuff um you know you wanted or you gave hate and you get hate that kind of situation comes up from that and so now you get a twisted and distorted version of that same relationship where he's killing people and because he loves this white lady and he's tormenting her um all because of the original hate of this white mob or society at that point you know and so it's it's just a constant jumping between you know hate and fear society and then how that affects innocence and then how that innocence personifies that society's environment to then become that next thing and how ultimately it was that sacrifice of you know helen that saves the kid um you know the ultimate innocence you could say a baby uh, that that couldn't you know that can't hurt anybody can't do anything and the idea is that even that is still inescapable like he escaped the fire which could be that societal you know sort of uh fears and, and hate and all the chaos that would come from those negative things he escapes that fire but like and that's kind of the problem with the other movie too is like he escapes the fire and helen is seen as a hero because you know she helped preserve that innocence instead of cause instead of adding to it but in the reboot they kind of like just destroy that sort of plot and it's like you can never escape the fire though you know you can never escape that societal anguish and that that environment at all and so like it's another one of those things like i'm not saying it would have been easy but like making a sequel for a movie like Candyman was just kind of it just shouldn't have happened because it was such a complete story like thematically like you can pull so many things from it uh like i said tony todd being Candyman, such a great you know actor and all that kind of stuff and his voice was just you know goosebumps uh inducing 
it was just like the perfect movie in and of itself, you know, for what it was. It was, it accomplished everything it set out to do. And so, yeah, that is my spiel. I have more kind of thoughts, but I also don't want to waste too much time on this. That was just my personal little tangent I wanted to go off on today. Um, but now in saying all that, we can get into real meat and potatoes of the situation. We can get into the real sort of conversation I would like to have, which is about vets and, you know, keeping up with this sort of momentum we got here with this workers' rights and labor and worker sovereignty sort of idea and the whole populist ideal as a whole. Um, and especially with all this news, like I said, about Afghanistan and stuff like that, I thought it'd be a perfect time to talk about it. Um, and actually what inspired this was I was watching Secular Talk and I saw uh, that most recent video he did where he showed the vets being interviewed and asked about, you know, the pullout of Afghanistan. And I thought it was really interesting because I know various vets in my life, like my grandfather served in Vietnam and my uncle enlisted in the military. And I think he got, he was there for a while, but I think he got hurt or something like that. And so they let him go. Uh, I have family or my grandfather on the other side of my family on my mom's side, he was a sniper for the U S military for a long time. And I have cousins that are in the military currently. Uh, I've, Needless to say, I've had a number of people in my family be in the military or, you know, state positions and stuff like that. Um, and so, like, a lot of the rationales that they were kind of saying and going through, like, I have heard before, like, firsthand, uh, you know, the sort of, you don't necessarily fight for the war, the, the politics of the war, you're fighting for the person next to you and that kind of stuff. Like, that... I had heard that stuff since I was like a little kid and like the duty bound, you know, or that sense of duty and honor and respect that, you know, soldiers kind of carry and it's kind of a part of them, um, that need to serve and that sort of desire to, you know, protect the thing you're proud of, which is obviously the country and, you know, to help others across, you know, the season, all that kind of stuff. Like these, Ideas of, like, protecting and serving, you could say. I have heard them, you know, for a long time. And so when I saw this interview, it was, you know, it reminded me a lot of stuff that I've heard them say. And honestly, it made me really think, because I had known for a while that a lot of soldiers are not necessarily involved in the politics of the wars that they fight in or, or the conflicts that they're in. And a lot of the higher ups kind of feed and thrive off of the fact that that's the truth for them. And so they lie to a lot of soldiers and, you know, they gaslight a lot of them, you know, for lack of a better term. And so that's kind of what I wanted to talk about here is like, that's where especially now that people are getting out of out of Afghanistan, you're getting this wave of vets now. That's where something like the populist movement and like the pro-labor movements and stuff like that, that's where like that message comes in. It's like, yeah, they've been lying to you and 
that's kind of the problem here. You know, the, the higher ups in the establishment, uh, the deep state, as they call it, they've been lying to you for 20 years now, you know, for two generations worth of fighters, they've been lying to you. And yeah, it's hard to deal with. It's hard to grapple with, but the same way a lot of soldiers and vets had to grapple with the idea that, you know, we were fighting all that time and now we just pulled out and Afghanistan is now Talibanistan. Um, you know, you question what was it worth? That's what a lot of workers and a lot of young people, but even people that were forced back into labor, you know, in the recession, that's what they were asking themselves too. I've worked this hard and I've done this much to provide for my family and do these things for my family. And now, you know, I'm in economic, you know, straits again. I, I'm in or dire straits again. So it's that idea of like, you did all the things that they asked you. You did all the things that you thought were right. And you, you followed the orders, you know, domestic or abroad, you know, talking about civilians and soldiers. You can apply that sort of same idea to both of them. And yet they still are coming up short. They feel, you know, shortchanged in some sort of way because of the result that they got out of that, you know. For a lot of vets or for a lot of people in Afghanistan, it's like we let the Taliban get Afghanistan. And for a lot of people here, it's I still am living paycheck to paycheck. I still can't provide wealth uh, or any sort of like meaningful economic progression for my family here. And so you look around and you say, what's the point? Um, especially like the younger people seeing the previous generations like all consecutively do worse economically um than the last you ask like well, what's what's the point it seems like i'm more likely to face you know poor economic standing than i am to succeed and you know amass anything even than like what my grandfather or his father had you know like that's the way our economy looks and so yeah it's a very similar sort of melancholy inducing state uh a state that really incites desperation and that's kind of why like you need to refocus and say well who's been who's been giving the the lot who's who's been spinning the story in, in saying this you know because it's no coincidence that the same demographic of people, you know, poorer folks, um, people that come out of rural areas or highly urbanized areas, you know, like bigger cities and stuff like that. Uh, the more economically disenfranchised, you know, poorer folks. It's no coincidence that those are the afflicted people or those are the people that feel this sort of dissonance of reality where it's like the effort that I'm putting in is not in any way, shape, or form, what I'm receiving in a result. It's no coincidence that's the fact. That's because you have elites, whether it be in the public or private sector, who politic in a certain way, and we're just pawns on the board, and you know, in that sort of game. Uh, for the case of Afghanistan, why are we in there? Because of 9-11? 
that's what they told a lot of these, you know, soldiers as they were fighting over there. And in the case of the, the video I was talking about off a of secular talk, yeah, that's exactly what they told this one, uh, this one soldier, or that's what he said. And I've heard that myself is that a lot of higher ranking people will say like, Oh, we're in here because of nine 11 and you know, Al Qaeda and all that stuff at, and this is far past the point. This is 10 years past the point when they would still say stuff like this of when, you know, we got, uh, bin Laden, you know, or, or Saddam Hussein is in Pakistan or something like that. You know, like Al Qaeda is eradicated to a hundred member or a hundred to 500 members, you know, in Afghanistan, the Taliban is not in support of, you know, the global efforts that Al Qaeda and ISIS have because they don't want American intervention still. So like, it is this almost extreme like denial of the politics involved that the generals do not even just the generals, but just higher ranking officials because they understand that like the, the politics directly involves money and directly involves these other influences that a soldier, they train you not to be worried about. And when it comes to the people, uh, CEOs manipulate directly the legislators, you know, and elected officials, and you work in the nine to five, don't have the luxury to worry about that. And they will also mire and bog you down with a number, a number of other cultural things, you know, or, or cultural politics. Um, so that ultimately you don't focus on the economic straight, the dire straits that you're in. You focus on, you know, the problems of cancel culture and all these other things that they like to, you know, run on MSNBC night after night after night and Fox night after night, night after night after night, um, to keep your mind away and to keep the focus away from these more important issues of, you know, where all the CEOs from the different banks and insurance companies of 2008, because I didn't see a number of them go to jail, but I saw a number of them in, you know, elected official or the president's cabinet, not even just elected officials, the president's cabinet. I've seen them in Obama's and Trump's. So what's really going on? Or they're in, you know, different committees and stuff like that for financing. Um, you know, if I was talking to a, a room of vets, I would try to explain to them that the country that we're in and the freedom that you were fighting for and all this kind of stuff is being threatened directly by this extreme consolidation of powers at the very top. And it's not the problem of, you know, left or right, as they say, it's the problem of up and down. It's the problem of the top and the bottom. Um, and that is to say, that the people's political ideations are so typically close in line and it's really like the politicians and you know the the media that wants to make you think that they're far apart
you know, it's it's a lot of the media that has made us believe that, you know, all Republicans are Trump supporters or that they're extreme, you know, uh, or, or they're, they're conservative extremists. And that, you know, Democrats by and large are super lefties that, you know, believe in like Stalin so or Stalin communism and, you know, Castro socialism and that Biden is like super Bernie Sanders, you know, corrupted. Um, but these obviously are not the, the facts of the matter. The, the true facts of the matter are a number of people, even though they claim Republican, even though they might be conservative independents, have very populist or they will vote very populist. Look at Florida, a state that voted for Donald Trump, but passed $15 minimum wage, right? That's a still a populist, uh, that is still a populist piece of legislation that a number of conservatives voted for. And now they might have a right-winged justification for that, but the idea is that the populism here is counter to the corporatism or the corporate-backed state economy, um, or not, I'm sorry, the state-backed corporate economy. There you go. That, that's how you would say that. Because the states are funding a lot and giving social safety nets to a lot of these higher CEO class, you know, bailing out uh, during the pandemic a trillion dollars a day, or yeah, a trillion dollars a day in liquidation which is a ridiculous amount, but no one talks about the deficit when they want to do that. Same thing with war. No one talks about the deficit when we talk about starting wars or, or military operations in other countries, like bombing Somalia, which we started doing like last month, I believe. You know, they don't talk about that stuff, but they'll talk about it when they talk about giving you better roads, giving you, you know, better piping, when they talk about better housing, uh, when they talk about free healthcare and because they know, or because the media has already set up this dichotomy of, you know, the right believes these certain things, the voter base has kind of assumed some of the rhetoric and justifications for why these politicians don't want to do things. It's not saying that the voters don't want these things. It's saying, Again, the base has accepted, it has consumed, it has, you know, they say, we'll take you on your word, the justifications for why politicians don't want to do these things or vote a certain way. You know, the, the old line of, oh, you're going to be standing in line forever because healthcare, uh, because Universal healthcare means, you know, poor quality of work and all that stuff. Lies. It's ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. Look at Scandinavian countries. That is a simple thing. I mean, I'm not a fan of Castro, but look at Castro's medical advancements in Cuba during the time where you had the US, the USSR. There you go. I mean, you can't deny the fact that the government in these situations is going to be the more expedient way of doing this. Like 
the way we get our research for these different vaccines comes through you know universities researching this stuff it doesn't come from a, a pharma company it doesn't come from an insurance provider it doesn't come from any of these people it comes from tax payers who fund these public research endeavors and a you know big pharma company something like that they come in and buy these things they come in and buy the chemical patents they come in and buy the you know what whatever is created out of this um they come and buy it up and then they resell it to you you know they're really like merchants that just you know they get a product from the artisan and then they give it back to the marketplace when the artisan obviously could sell it themselves and they do it at a better and more affordable price because our artisan is the u.s government and you know when you start doing things federally the government has a little more leadway because they print the money that they're selling in um so you know and, and this is kind of getting in the weeds right now but the whole idea is that i know and i've heard the right wing the what the right wing rhetoric say that five times fast i've heard the rhetoric um that avoids the substance and directly attacks on you know cultural or or these sort of uh like ad hominem type personal attacks to avoid having to really discuss like the merits of the substance of you know these sort of policy suggestions and these sort of different you know political ideals that even might have overlap uh such as populism does and i've heard on the left too where you know soldiers are just dogs and all this kind of stuff and you know uh white people are the worst thing ever and all this kind of stuff and i have my fair share of criticisms about you know white america but that's still not getting in the way of the fact that i see that yeah like if you're poor you're poor if you don't have you know and, and also that anything about race is either this is kind of how the dynamic goes either you're creating resentment or you already resent somebody you know and it's not beneficial to talk along those lines when especially a lot of these racial tension issues are created and kind of promoted because of a poor economic standing that's why economics and getting people to a point where you know an individual can succeed in our society based off of merit would be the biggest goal is because at that point then you know if there are racial tension issues if there are things like that if there are you know uh issues about sex and all that kind of stuff that can be handled in that respect because then it is very much a, a cultural and societal thing that needs to be changed but right now a lot of or the brunt of the blame should be placed a lot on economics and how disenfranchised everybody is and how terrible that makes people you know you know feel <laughs> for for lack of a better way of explaining it that makes you know it, it kills the morale it, it makes people focus on the more negative aspects because everyone's stressed out at this ridiculous level and we're all looking for somebody to blame you know especially in our society where like things like unemployment and things like uh uh, uh whatever sort of 
thing we have considered bad in society has a direct moral uh, implication on the person. You always want to find a scapegoat because you don't want to be the bad guy. You don't want to be the person that's, you know, responsible for all the, the terribleness of their life. And quite frankly, you're probably not 100% responsible for it. To say that your environment has contributed nothing is ridiculous. Um, but to get back again to the to making these connections between the vets and the sort of populist worker labor, worker sovereignty movement we got going on here, um, the idea that, you know, things like healthcare, like the VA does not cover enough for a lot of people. The VA doesn't provide the best and most adequate support. And that's largely due because we don't really fund the VA properly. We don't do enough to really support vets when they come back. For a long time, we weren't even considering, you know, mental health issues when it came to VA help. Um, housing, job opportunities and stuff like that. This is why I suggest federal job mandates and UBI, where if you have the ability to work, you can, and UBI will give you the cushion so that you are not in destitute poverty. You can at least care, you know, based off of whatever needs you have, like my idea of UBI isn't one flat, you know, $10,000. It's progressively adjust so that, you know, obviously people that need it more can get more and people that don't need as much don't get as much because they have, you know, a job or something like that. They're, the UBI is very much a, a, to help with the cost of living of your area. You know, free education and free um, vocational training. And see, the idea, too, is that I know, uh, obviously, like, if you're a vet, if you're a soldier, like, you are given some of these things I'm talking I'm talking about. Um, but in a lot of situations, you have to sign away four years, six years of your life. And that seems like, you know, a, kind of a slavery sort of setup right there. Where I have to say, oh, I'm going to give you x amount of years of my life in order to you know do this here that i really want to do but why should i have to be why should i have to give up everything to the state in order to profit in my own personal life you know and see that's also one of my criticisms of the right and conservative thought is or or not even just the right and the conservatives you know, and conservatives, but it's like people in general that will put up the army and put up, you know, the sort of military, um, any branch as like, that should be your path in life. Well, why do, why do the lower ring, uh, uh, economically speaking, why do the lower ring of society have to give themselves over to the state completely in order to be economically viable? I think that says something about our economy, that it's not quite good enough, not quite strong enough at the current moment, based off of the different policies and legislation that we have, that we can't support that kind of economic movement. And maybe we should do things here domestically to make sure we can, so that, you know, people don't feel beholden and start resenting the military more. And not even just from a we don't like the war. This is talking about we resent the institution because it's being predatory to this lower economic ring of people. 
you know, that again, simple things that I think should be addressed and I think aren't hard to address, but obviously there are different economic influences and different economic, you know, uh, incentives for these higher ups and people in power in the public and private sector to, you know, move our economy this way. And this is my point again to soldiers is that, or my point again to these vets coming back and again to conservatives and and right-wingers is that how can you be comfortable with such a consolidation of power when it is directly impacting your independence as a person? You know, and for my vets out there, how can you stand by and support individuals and uh, a system ultimately that does not support what you have embodied in merit and hard work and honesty and loyalty and, you know, patriotism and pride in your country when, you know, these people, they, they do not support that. This cross-section of individuals, they do not support that at all. The CEOs and the legislators, they do not support these same principles um, that you do. And they honestly, insultingly, will, will feign that, yes, so we do believe in these things, and they'll grab a Bible, and they'll have their kids, and they'll pose for a picture. You know, but that's all to just get over on you and pull the wool over your eyes in a lot of respects. And they'll also demonize and make this caricature, caricature image of the, the left and, and of people like Biden and stuff like that, who is an issue in his own respect, but not in the way that they frame it, you know? And it's just, it's unfortunate that that's the situation we're in. But, you know, vets uniting with the rest of society, that's how you kind of push for this more uh, a coalition, this more organized front of, you know, we are the, the, the populist branch of the government, you could say. We are the people directly that are, aren't going to allow, you know, these very concentrated points of power to reign over us in, in you know, this sort of economic and, and military tyranny, because that's ultimately what they have, too. Um, and the idea is that you should push for these other things too, because now that you're not in service, I know that that want of serving and, uh, and duty is still there. This is the perfect way to do it. Cause this is directly serving the people. These are our policies that directly benefit the people and what the people are asking for by and large, you know? People want the ability to not have to worry about student loans, free college. People want the ability to not be crushed under, you know, medical debt. That's universal health care. People want the ability to be able to, you know, work a job that's meaningful and work a job that's related to whatever education they have. You know, that's living wage and that's a federal jobs mandate. People want the ability to be able to 
you know, uh, people want the ability to actualize their rights as much as they don't want the government to infringe upon their rights, you know, and this is goes back to our concepts of like negative and positive freedoms. Um, the government giving us something so we can accomplish it versus the government getting out of our way so they can't impede us from doing things. Both of these are equally important in this sort of process of, you know, individual freedoms and individuals being able to do what they'd like to do. Um, you know, self-sovereignty and all that kind of stuff. Merit. These are all factors that play into that, you know, and, and something else I didn't throw in there was people want the right or, or people want to be able to, you know, be educated and not have to worry about student loan debt. Oh, or maybe I did mention it. I, I don't remember if I did. But yes, free college. That's what that would be. Um, you know, and so that's my sort of message to vets is like, I don't think a lot of people, or this is my criticism on media currently and my message to vets is that I think a lot of people are, are misguided in where they're placing their, uh, anger and, you know, disdain. And media has kind of trained us to push it on the on the 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 people that that are there. So like media has trained it instead of putting it on the institution, we're putting it on the individuals that have to carry things out. You know, the the person that gets the order when it's not really them, um, it's the person giving the order that we really need to be on. You know, and saying that that means it's the system, it's the institution, it's the people whose greed and corruption have forced us into, you know, these imperialistic, you know, occupations and these nation building operations, which are ridiculous for one country to carry out and that not to be considered as aggressive in any sort of sense, you know, but I would never blame the soldier necessarily. Uh, I mean, unless it's something heinous, unless it's something like they're out there killing babies. Like that's, I'm, I'm a blame the guy who did that. You know, I, I mean, even though I know there's general too, I'm blame him, but I'm blaming the guy that did that. Cause it's a baby. Come on now. Um, but realistically that's, these are the kinds of things that we're talking about though. You know, in Afghanistan, a lot of the people that we were allied with, a lot of the Afghans that we were allied with, they're higher ups and stuff like that. They were warlords with child sex slaves. And there were a number of outstanding Americans that talked about this, soldiers that talked about this and they were discharged or removed because we couldn't let that kind of stuff get out and really start to get into the media. We couldn't let that kind of, you know, backlash come out against us because then that would extremely make the, the, the why are we here question a more pertinent question. And that's something that the political elite and the private industry elite, you know, your Boeings and uh, all these other defense contractors, we couldn't let that happen because then that would affect their business. That would affect their bottom lines. That would affect their bank accounts. You know, they are completely fine with being immoral and 
you know, ethically questionable to say the least. And then put that right on the backs of soldiers and then lie to them to their face. And say, they're the good guys. And that's why we're backing them, even though they're doing all these atrocities. You know, Saudi Arabia is another one that's like this, where Saudi Arabia holds a similar belief to groups like Al-Qaeda. They believe in global Sharia. They believe in Muslim law across the world. And this is what we got to do. You know, people should believe this very extreme and conservative version of our religion. And that's that's right. That's exactly what they should do. And they, they should not have a choice whether to say yay or nay. And if they do have that choice, we're going to kill them. <laughs> like, that's, that's the reality of what, you know, that's who we back. That's another one of our allies. So we do not, the, the elites do not believe in, you know, allying off of, morality or what's right or human rights or anything like that and that's what i would try to get through to a soldier is that no that if you believe that that is not the case and if you believe those things like human rights and all that kind of stuff then this is where i would point you you know in fighting for the people as you know furiously as you fought for the country you know, I, I'm not saying violently as you fought for the country. I'm not saying pick up a gun or something like that. But I'm saying that, you know, every state has governors and representatives and stuff like that. You know, a number of states have direct-to-ballot initiatives that can get put through. At every given point, use the system to directly push for the policies and legislation that you need and want. And make them believe that everything they thought politically is not true anymore. Make them question the very ground they stand on and let them see the reality that they do not have the power that they believe. Because at this point, a lot of the power that the elites hold isn't even from direct brute force. It's not from straight physical intimidation. A lot of it is this mental, you know, sort of entrapment that they have done upon us where they say, oh, two parties are the only thing that works. You know, we can't have a third party. Third parties detract. We can determine if that's true or not. If we focus enough energy, we can determine if that's true or not. You know, deciding, oh, we can't push a vote in the House because this, that, and the other, you know, do you don't think those representatives vote based on you know, the people that they represent, I don't think that. And, and I know a number of other people that they, they are not lost that that is not the truth. It's not lost on them that that is not the truth. But let's make it the truth because they're not going to get reelected ever again. Slan not, not slanderous has, but ads that accurately show and represent who these individuals are. That's exactly what you need. You need mass media movement to show who these people are, you know, and for the media, speaking of it, the mainstream media, you know, they also need to be put on the spotlight because they're in cahoots a lot of the times and act as stenographers, act as, you know, the personal publicists of a lot of these, you know, 
corporation heads, a lot of politicians, you know, because they want the insider story. They want all this stuff and they're being fed lies a decent amount of times, especially if you're talking to intelligence agencies, they'll go a straight lie and then have that reported on news like it's, you know, facts. Like it's the sky in the morning. Blue. <laughs> you know, it's this, it's the idea that the more you're able to use this mass population and focus its energy, you know, the more it is able to do that, the more, uh, as the kids would say, conscious, this sort of mass population can become and the more focused they can become on certain agendas to give individuals within that more autonomy so that we're not beholden to this consolidation of power at the very top. That's how we start seeing change. That's when, you know, they'll start covering these stories and they can't run away from the truth. And that's what I would tell, or into a soldier, this is what I would say is that's when you start seeing the America you're fighting for. That's when you start seeing that America that you have in your head of, you know, people being able to do what they'd like. People have freedom. People have the ability to live unimpeded by the government. And people also have avenues of which they can take advantage of and use to benefit their families and, and to make sure that their future generations have a, a legacy and money. And that's how you see people start more businesses. That's how you see people, you know, have a better livelihood. That's how you see greater happiness in the country and less of the social problems and less of the social despair. You know, that's how you see a lot of these things uh, come to fruition and become more actionable and real. But until then, we're not going to see any of that, really. Because they're going to keep playing the game of manipulation, the, they being the elites, the CEOs, and the legislative powers. That's when you'll start seeing that. Is when we start pushing... Oh, man, excuse me. When we start pushing back against the sort of, not programming, but, but in a sense conditioning that they've set upon us. You know, and, and I know some of this sounds all conspiratorial and all this kind of stuff, but in a very real and legitimate sense. In a very real and legitimate sense. These, this is how America works and has been working for a long time. America has been working off of these networks of individuals and these cross sections of power trying to focus on moving and manipulating the economy, which when they do it, by and large, leaves a lot of people in destitute and in dire straits and fighting against each other um, and impedes progress that could be had. So that's why I get my suggestion. And what I tell vets is that those people that are doing that are the ones giving who lied to you and put you in situations and had you lose loved ones and all these kinds of 
uh, and all, all the reality or all the more negative aspects of, you know, that reality, like they are the people to blame for that. And the way you counter them, the way you beat them and the way you really, you know, stand to, to not enforce your principles, but, but to be honest to them and to also be honest to the sort of ideals that you have. You do that by helping the people, you know, you put your ear to the ground, you listen to what the people are, are saying, listen to what the people are doing and don't be lost in the media onslaught of, you know, the, the narrative, the fake narratives that they put out and the sort of cultural noise that they put out to shadow or overshadow the economic issues that, that are being had from administration to administration to administration. And more than, more than not, you will hear a message of populism and you will hear a message of a number of what they call these lefty, you know, scary progressive policies uh, being shouted uh, from the top of everybody's lungs. Unanimously, people will support them. And that's why that consolidated power or the consolidated powers are is so scared when, you know, you get soldiers and when you get workers, uh, these large mass groups of people to come together and all start arguing for the same things, regardless of, you know, race, creed, color, religion, sexuality, preference, all that kind of stuff, regardless of that. When they say, oh, we can't fool the people anymore. That's when they get scared and they start making more moves and more adjustments. That's when, you know, we go invade another country or something like that. When we can get those groups to start seeing for these common interests, that's when you'll see the media change and start reporting more of the real reality. And that's when they'll start demonizing vets. That's when they'll start demonizing workers. That's when they'll, you know, blatantly, they'll start doing these things. They'll start demonizing, you know, these different policies, which they already do, which they've already done. You know, they, they will blatantly demonize them when they start coming into conflict with the narratives that they want to spin. I mean, look at the the withdrawal from Afghanistan. By far, that is the most successful part of the war. It's been the most competently held part of the war. We got all these people out, you know, hundreds of thousands of people out in a, a, a week's time at most. And the several hundred that are still there, a number of them are dual citizens. I mean, we're talking like, I believe they're anywhere from like 200, 500 people, something like that. We're talking more than half, cl closer to like that 60% number, I believe, are dual citizens. You know, they're dual citizens and they want to be there still. They want to stay. For whatever reason, you know, I, I don't know. But 
they're using, you know, that that's their choice. They want to stay. They don't want to go anywhere. A number of the weapons that were left, the number of the vehicles that were left, number of the weapons lost, a number of the vehicles are inoperable or they don't know how to repair them. Um, so they're useless. If there were things left in Afghanistan, they were nothing of real value. You know, talking about weaponry and machinery and all that kind of stuff. They were nothing of real value to America. So we saw no point in bringing them back. You know, we were able to safeguard a number of people, even though we there were a number of lives lost in the ISIS attack on the uh, airport in Kabul. But again, you know, in saying that, I, I still know there there are voices that, that will say, well, we could have done this, we could have done that, we could have did this. And the question is, uh, yeah, at what cost? At what cost would we have been willing to risk more lives, more, you know, young people, another generation to this war? And, you know, I've seen some of the polling and I know a number of people are glad that we got out and they're just upset with how we did it. Honestly, we probably ran into one of the better case scenarios. It could have been a lot worse and we could have had a lot, you know, harder of a time getting out. We could have had a much more aggressive Taliban. We could have had a much more aggressive ISIS. Um, we could have been, we could, they could have had a much more aggressive civil war, you know, with us in the middle of it, let alone us being attacked. Um, so, you know, yeah, I, I agree that it wasn't, I still would have liked it to be better somehow, but I also am going to be real in the fact that I'm grateful for the way that, that we did get out with the pluses that we did get out with. <clears throat> and so not to drag on any longer, but my final, my, my go home message is that the people that are most vocal on the left, stop bashing these vets, stop bashing, you know, people become soldiers and stuff like that. Stop bashing these individuals because a number of them are in the same positions as the working poor or as people in poverty that you'd be advocating for. Otherwise, a lot of them are in the same positions and might end up in the same position as, you know, homeless and, you know, looking for work, looking for all these sorts of things. A lot of them will end up in these positions. And so why are you bashing the people you say you support? You know, and for soldiers, and also a lot of these people aren't involved necessarily in the politics of their war. They have a, a different reason to, to want to be there. They have a different reason to want to do something. You know, they want to help and they want to protect and they want to, you know, make a difference. You know, some people become doctors, some people become soldiers with those same, with those same incentives. Um, and so I'm not going to bash anybody that has good intentions, you know, or that's trying their best to do the right thing, because I know that our system and in this world, it's easy to do bad and to do wrong while you still have the good and right intentions and, and a good and, and righteous heart. So, and also I'm going to say to the soldiers, don't let them lie to you. Don't let them, you know, 
manipulate reality and tell you one thing when the the wind is blowing in the other direction you know what i mean when reality is saying to you that you know it doesn't make sense why we're here it doesn't make sense this and the other um why is america being so aggressive on these other countries don't let that get in the way you know or, or not don't let that get in the way but don't let them tell you that that's not the reality don't let them tell you that oh you know we're here because they're the enemy we're here because they're the bad guy we're here because this that and the other when that's not the case now in the situation where it is the case yeah of course nazis they're bad guys you know but don't make them tell you know don't let them make believe and lie and say that everyone's a nazi you know that's funny because on the left all you people on the left stop saying everyone's a nazi if they're not a nazi you know you can be conservative and not a nazi i'm gonna just say that for the people that need to hear that um you know it's just don't let the culture war so to speak don't let that get in the way of the real economic issues. Don't let that get in the way of, for the soldiers out there, don't let that get in the way of your sense of duty and you wanting to, to bring, you know, make this a, a great country. Don't let that get in, don't let the culture work in the way of that. And really look at the policies that will increase, you know, entrepreneurship. Look at the policies that will increase economic movement in this lower class. Look at the policies that will do all that. Look at the policies that give freedoms as much as it is the government getting out the way, you know. Look, at a quote-unquote bigger government isn't bad if it's giving people the, the ability to do things. And it's not taking away more of their rights. Or it's not taking away more of their autonomy. And other than that, yeah, just don't, on both sides, don't let those sort of, you know, trivial things get in the way because there is a, a meeting in the middle and there is a great overlap when it comes to the policies and how they will help the people, civilians, and soldiers abroad, you know, and domestic. You know, they, they, I remember hearing the news about this where they were trying to make it so that soldiers couldn't vote while they were, you know, out of the country and all that kind of stuff on tour or whatever. And that's absolutely ridiculous. But that's one of those populist sort of things that that would be a, a great example of a populist policy that has great overlap because the reason why they don't want you to vote is because they don't want soldiers to have a political mind. They don't want soldiers to start making their own political ideations because then they might think that the war that they're fighting it is not just or it's not being done for the reasons told. And that's purely a political war. That's purely a war for profit. And they can't have that because they need you to be obedient. But that's exactly why we want that. We want it so that because you're not just a soldier, you're a. You're still an individual, you're a human being who has this great and profound sense of duty, but also is still a citizen of the country. And so we can't strip you of your rights 
any given moment, whether you are domestic or abroad, you still have the rights to be able to do whatever you, you know, whatever the country has granted you the ability to do. Whatever it says you are endowed with just by being a citizen. And, you know, especially when you are out there serving the state, you're serving the country. Why wouldn't we afford you those uh, rights that we said you're supposed to have? Doesn't make sense to me. But that's the logic that, you know, they're going off of. And so, again, that's that's an exact moment right there where a populist push is needed. Because soldiers are people just like the civilians are people of the state, of the country. You fill a different role in our society and you fill a different role, uh, a, a valued role. But that's still, we still have to, to respect you in that sense too. Or you still need to be seen in that respect too, that you're still a human, you're still a, a, a citizen, and you are still obligated or the, the state is still obligated to respect you in those senses, too, as much as they respect you in the sense of being a soldier. You know, and in saying that, that means they limit a lot of your rights, too, as a civilian, even though you are serving as a soldier. And that's unjust and that's completely wrong of them to do. And you, especially, especially as someone that serves, deserve more you know, you are the most deserving of the rights afforded to civilians and you should have them expanded. You should not have to, you know, sell yourself for however many years in order to get a little more freedom. Because that's kind of a backward system if you think about it. A system where if I sell myself to the state for a number of years, I get more freedom versus a state that is so free that I'm willing to give that I'm willing to to serve you know however many tours or however many uh you know years and then I'm compensated on top of that you know economically or, or you know with loans and stuff like that you shouldn't have to sell yourself for the state to get ba- what what should be considered freedoms like education or, or rights which should be con- you know like education and Medicare and all that kind of stuff, or not Medicare, but a uh, universal healthcare. You should have to sell yourself to the state in order to get those kind of things. You know, the state should give back to you more than you give to it, because without you, without people, uh, without the people, you know, entirely, then there would be no real nation. There would be no, you know, it would it would be just the consolidated powers and they'd have, they'd be consolidated powers of nothing. You know, we are the, we are the hot commodity as they'd say. And the more we can focus on that and use that as leverage, the more, the more of these policies will get through and the more we will be really able to combat and see the enemy that we have to fight and beat. You know, not necessarily breaking the system, changing the system, all this kind of crazy stuff. It's simply we need to take the reins back on this, you know, horse back on the ship, back on this, you know, whatever it may be. We need to take the controls back and say you're not in the driver's seat anymore. 
you know, you've been manipulating and abusing a lot of people for too long. You're not in the driver's seat anymore. And, uh, I, I mean, I would love to have on people to talk about this with, cause I feel like that would make th- this conversation is one that needs like a back and forth, but I mean, it's, I just don't see how people can combat with that sort of idea that like, if you put, you know, the culture war stuff aside, and if you focus strictly on like authority and economic policy, that they're, they are getting over the, the consolidated powers are getting over on just this large number of people. And one of the most egregious groups that they get over on are soldiers because the institution is predatory and strikes after people that need economic leverage and the military gives the promise of economic leverage. And then you go out, you sign yourself over for so many years, God forbid you get injured, you know, before, during, or after. And then they give you lackluster care when you come out. They give you, you know, some benefits which are, you know, fairly good, like a, like a, you know, GI bill, like when it comes to buying homes and stuff like that, like that stuff I've seen firsthand, that's very good. And uh, those are very good things. But like, why is that the bare minimum of what you get though? And why is it like you have to sign over more and more years in order to sort of get the stuff to, to be happy with in life? Why is that the case that you have to sign over so much of your life to then be happy with whatever little bit you have remaining? You know, and some people see things different. Some people see like, you know, once you're 40 or 50, you still have like so many years to go. But think about all the years you just spent, you know, to to those people, I'd say, think about the years you spent and think about the freedoms that you have been robbed of in that time. You know, you haven't been able to, you know, either enjoy your family, let alone start it. You haven't been able to interact in society really like that because it's like you've been working that whole time. You know, and that's the other thing, too, is like we've normalized that idea of like work being so integral to your personality and identity and all this kind of stuff. I am whatever X job or occupation that we kind of forget that like that's that's you sort of denying like the human aspects of you like i am the occupation versus i am you know whatever your name is i don't know you know like i i am in my case i am a dishwasher versus me saying i am you know raja i am you know this old or or whatever, whatever, you know, like it's sort of these things where we're letting these societal sort of positions and these very non uh, person dependent things like, like person dependent identity categories define our, our identity as a person. And to me that, that comes off as dehumanizing a little bit. And that comes off as, you know, 
we're slowly going into that sort of aspect where like we're just becoming more cogs in the machine you know and obviously if i'm a consolidated power i'd love that because that means it's less pushback it's less blowback all that kind of stuff we're going the way i want to go maximize profits maximize output all that kind of stuff if i'm the person living in that and i can realize that i'd have a big problem with that because why does that person at the top that consolidated power get to have so much more humanity than me because of my economic standing why does my economic standing you know have such an impact in our society on the amount of humanity you have your your mental health your physical health you know your family you know your generational family like mental health and physical wealth or physical uh health why is that the case maybe we should fix that maybe we should alter that you know maybe we should have it to where the most viable option shouldn't be selling yourself to the state and maybe we should have it to where you know the person's will and the person's you know desires is like what motivates them to uh, go in certain directions whether it be you know their desires is to you know protect and serve the country that's great we have places for you and the the military and you know i'm sure some people that consider you know that would also fall in line with the police force too like that could be your avenue but that's not because you're in such dire economic straits it's because that's the kind of like that's the person you are and that's what you want to do that's a difference you know maybe you want to be a doctor and that shouldn't be because medicine is a more lucrative uh more lucrative job market and more lucrative you know pay it should be because that's what your interest is that's what your desire is and on the flip side you shouldn't be damned because maybe your interest and desire is something more artistic or something more involved with literature something more involved with history um you shouldn't be disincentivized to go in there because there's such a lack of because our job market just can't support that because our job market you know is so deprived of diversity at the moment that you know we can't support that sort of thing at higher levels um or, or even at the more you know broad not higher levels but um we can't support that in a way that will see economic growth there you go that's a great way of saying it you know we shouldn't damn those people for doing that either because they still decide to get their education in some sort of way and they want to use it to be productive in the society you know or, or be productive in their own life it doesn't always have to be a big societal thing but that's the thing i always uh come back to because that's just what's most important to me and what i think is a more universal like appeal of like it's good for everybody why shouldn't we do this what's good for the goose is good for the gander as they say um yeah but anyways that's the the take-home message is that we all need to start coming together and focusing on the commonalities focus on the commonalities while we are fighting more more than ever come together on the economic policies because they touch everybody and to my vets out there i obviously thank you for your service um i hope that 
you know, this has enlightened you a little bit and, and maybe persuaded you or made you interested in more populist sort of policies and, you know, more worker sovereignty talk and how that leads to you, you know, or, or how that goes back to, you know, the community of vets. Um, but yeah, that, that's all I can really say is that just focus on the economics. It's not right or left. Ignore the culture because honestly, that will even change with this kind of movement. That will become so... The culture that we have now will not be the same during and or after a movement like what we're talking about that's so economic driven, that's so focused on class issues. Um, you know, it's not left or right. It's up and down. It's top and bottom. And the top wants more in the bottom. The bottom wants to reduce, you know, the very bottom. The, the bottom wants to have more of a ability to just move up and down. They, they don't care. They, they, you know, some people don't want to be uber rich and that's fine. But everybody should not have to be poor. Everybody should not have to be, you know, banking on where they came from the previous generation in order to determine the wealth that they're going to have in this one and the next. So, yeah, uh, that's basically it. That's the populist report. And uh, tune in next time, sometime this month. I don't know when. I don't have a real set schedule. Oh, but also I have a email for people that want to, you know, put in questions. Excuse me, that was my cup. Um, people that want to put in questions, comments, concerns, anything like that, send them into the show. It is the populist report mail at gmail.com. The populist report mail at gmail.com. So, and it will also be in the description of the show and all that kind of stuff. Share this with whoever, if you like it, give the positive interactions and reviews and all that kind of stuff. Um, thank you to the people that keep tuning in, uh, the, you know, three or four of you that do y'all are, y'all are great. Y'all are great. I hope to see your emails, um, or some sort of communication, uh, because you guys are, y'all are top notch. Y'all are good. So, uh. Thank you. And other than that, everybody have a great day um, and enjoy. This is Saturday for me, but whenever you hear this, enjoy that day. All right. Bye.